We're going to speak to Dr. Caroline Milne today. We're going to speak to her uh, interest in how she got into academic medicine, the internal medicine residency program here at the University of Utah School of Medicine, and what her program specifically looks for. Dr. Milne originally comes from Wisconsin, and she'll talk about what she fell in love with when she moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Uh, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions with Dr. Chan um, here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. And when I talk about admissions, you know, a lot of you are probably thinking about admissions to medical school, but I think and also another important part of this is admissions to residency programs. So I'm delighted to have on my guest today, Dr. Milne, um, who's going to talk about internal medicine. Um, so, Dr. Milne, how did you come here to University of Utah in the first place? I um, came here as a resident. So, I did my medical school training at the University of Wisconsin. And um, when I was looking at training programs, um, I looked broadly, had mm-hmm. spent my entire life in the Midwest, and was interested in being in a place where I could have access to. Um, outdoor recreation, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't a skier or had and didn't have any history of doing outdoor recreation, I viewed myself as someone that could do that and um, actually came out to Utah to do an away rotation in the intensive care unit. And it was October, so mm-hmm. about now. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a wonderful experience. The training program was really strong under um, a, great, a great direction of Dr. Barry Stoltz. You'll remember him. And um, loved it, matched here, loved being in Utah, loved the program. Went, did a chief residency year. Mm-hmm. Which is an extra year, correct? Yeah, yeah. Correct, yeah. yeah. So in medicine, unlike other specialties, uh, the chief year is a fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, internal medicine training is three years of training, and it's a fourth year. Um, it's it's a big deal in medicine to be a chief resident, um, not just for me, but, I mean, in, in general. Um, it's certainly a position that people that are interested in academics look to do, Um I view it as a junior faculty position where you're absolutely the, the, the liaison between the residents and the faculty. And, um, and then went off to Penn to do a fellowship in medical education. Mm-hmm. And during that time, my husband, who's a pediatric surgeon, and I really decided that Utah was our home. It wasn't Wisconsin any longer. Mm. And uh, we both came back here as faculty in 2001, and we've been here since. Oh, fantastic. And then when did you uh, you know, take over or start being in charge of the internal medicine residency program? So um, when I came back in 2001, I part of my position in, in recruitment package and coming back was to be the associate program director. And um, I did that until 2005 when I was named program director. And um, so a long time. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Mealy, when I go out there, I give, like, you know, I meet a lot of different students. I interact with our medical students. I get a lot of questions about, you know, Dr. Chan, like, you know, I really want to do more in medical education. I want to work in the dean's office one day, or I want to teach medical students one day. And I'm interested because you talked about doing, sounds like a separate fellowship mm-hmm. in medical education. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. So um, I don't, it's not very common. Okay. And um, it's was an, a unique opportunity at Penn. Uh, who has a ver- they have a very strong history in general medicine, which is what I was interested in. And they do both. Um, they did a lot of quality and continue to do a lot of quality outcomes research. But 
is one arm of that they had medical education fellowship and uh, really what they were training people to do is what I'm doing so the people that were in my fellowship class are clerkship directors or program directors around the country and basically it involved learning adult education theory Mm -hmm. which is what we all are in medical school Mm -hmm. and in residency and now faculty development as well Um, and applying that uh, to curriculum development also look look learning assessment tools um, and but then finally the scholarship portion of that so um, doing some training in how to uh, succeed in an academic environment by you know just looking at the scholarship of what we do anyway every day yeah so it sounds like it was a year long it sounds like it's primarily classroom focused, yeah. not a lot of clinical responsibilities during that time, kind of more geared to learning how to be the best educator you can. Correct. All right. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And so you got that extra fellowship under your belt and then decided to move back here to Utah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. You're not the first person I've talked to who's done residency here and then is just kind of you know blown away by the scenery, the people, all the outdoor activities, things like that. And it sounds like you know the internal medicine program is continuing to grow. So can you tell me more about that? Absolutely. So when I was a trainee here, Uh, We had a a small class. Um, We had about 45 or 50 residents. We're now at about 120, um, which includes the combined medicine pediatric residency trainees. We did combine with um, LDS Hospital, which had its own small or private practice, uh, private community residency training program in 2000. And so they had 24 residents. So that gave us an initial increase. And then we've continued to grow over the years. And most recently, in the last academic year, we did grow by another Two residents per year, so six total trainees. So, so what again? What's the total again? How many per year? We have. Um, we train thirty categoricals a year. Okay. And we, uh, Dr. Lamb is the program director for MedPeds. She trains a total of twelve MedPeds residents over the course of four years. We have four chief medical residents, and we have a very large preliminary first year training program only Mm -hmm. um, up to 20 residents a year Um, and those people are people that are going into dermatology, Mm -hmm. radiology, anesthesia radiation oncology and when you say categorical just for our own medical students education or those who are applying to medical school those are the people who are intend to be internists intend to be uh, for the whole three years correct so there's the categorical which is larger and then it sounds like the preliminary which is kind of a smaller subset correct okay Um, and then it's three years long what kind of rotations do they do Where, where do they go so um Primary internal medicine in uh, historically has been uh, inpatient based, mm-hmm. and that's changing as medicine changes. We do a lot of medicine in the outpatient setting. We do take care of more chronically ill patients, um, as you know. Internal medicine feeds into a lot of fellowships. About 75% of my residents will end up going on to do a subspecialty fellowship, and that varies from anything from allergy immunology, rheumatology to interventional cardiology and gastroenterology. So we have a very broad um, scope of people that we will end up treating and specialties that we end up doing. In our training program, uh, we... I really do try to get people into the outpatient setting as frequently as possible. Not outpatient general medicine, but outpatient specialty care because that's the trend of medicine. People are in the hospital very late now, and they leave the hospital very early. 
and the majority of care is done in the outpatient setting. So all of our subspecialty rotations, all of our residents will rotate through um, cardiology and um, gastroenterology and rheumatology and all the subspecialties. They will do a portion of that training in the inpatient setting and a portion of it in the outpatient setting. So every rotation has to have some sort of outpatient training as well because that's that's where medicine is mm-hmm. and is certainly only moving further in that direction. Okay. And go on. Yeah. So um, in the first year of medicine, and this includes that preliminary year, we do spend a lot of time in the inpatient setting. Um, it's both basically... Um, probably 75% of your year is spent in general medicine wards, some specialty wards, or the ICU setting. We have ER rotations, which is important um, as uh, to know what kind of patients come into the ER and how you make the decision of triage of who gets admitted to the hospital, who goes to the ICU, who gets to go home. And, um, and then, of course, now with the work hour changes, we have nighttime medicine rotations as well. Mm-hmm. And that becomes less in the second and third year, where about uh, six months of your training will be spent spent on those same rotations in more of a supervisory role than in an intern level role and a lot more opportunities to do subspecialties in the second and third year. Wow, awesome. So during the first year, it sounds like there's limited choice as far as elective, but as time goes on, you have a little bit more choice about what kind of rotations you can do. Absolutely. Um, very typical training in that we want people to get the basics of medicine uh, before they try to act as the expert subspecialty consultant. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And what does a typical internal medicine team look like? I mean, how many residents are on a team? Like, what is the tending's role? I mean, how does that work in internal medicine? Okay. So I think that varies depending on where you are in training. We have at the University of Utah Medicine Training Program tried to maintain the team structure. I really, um, my focus is definitely on a team approach, esprit de corps, um, absolute roles. So on our ward teams, the average ward team will have medical students, possibly a sub-I, two interns, one supervising resident, which could be an R2 or an R3, maybe a fellow if it's a subspecialty rotation, and then one faculty member Mm -hmm. that leads that team. So a typical team will have a faculty member, one resident, two interns, and two medical students. Fantastic. And you mentioned work hour restrictions. Can you tell, talk a little bit more about that and what kind of the call expectation is at the program here? Yeah. So um, pretty standard around the country now. Obviously, national standards have been set that with the most stringent work hour rules really falling into that first year of training, so the intern year, PGY one year or R one year, depending on where you are, how people um, talk about it. There's, you, have to, you have a limit of 16 hours in the hospital um, at, at that time, and you have to have 10 hours between each shift. So um, basically how that's dramatically changed our program and in programs around the country in medicine is that there there are no longer overnight shifts in medicine. So they're, they're, they've divided that team up now to have people that come in, and you can call them night float, night medicine, whatever you want to call, that will do the admissions overnight for the general ward teams, and then those patients are divided up between teams in the morning. Um and then, you know, the teams own those patients then for the rest of their stay. So it sounds more like shift work in a way. Like the primary teams during the day are there from, you know, quote, unquote, normal business hours, which are not really normal business hours. But then there's a different kind of set of residents or physicians who are on call at night who just kind of handle all the nights, night admissions and things like that. Correct? Yes. So, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, we don't like to call it shift medicine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one in medicine wants yeah. to call anything yeah. shifts, yeah. but we definitely, I do think it is probably more, it is, it's also the future of medicine. If you mm-hmm. look out at your colleagues that are faculty members, nobody's really pulling 30-hour uh, shifts anymore either. Yeah. Okay. So um, this is just the way it is. And what what's new for us is the transitions of care. Mm-hmm. So patients definitely do move between teams. We try to limit transitions and in general around the country, this is a total focus of quality and safety is to make sure that transitions in care occur, you know, safely. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question, the you know, the the original reason to go to work hours was because physicians were fatigued. And despite transitions, um, I think people believe that um, well-rested physicians... Make better clinical decisions. Make better clinical decisions than uh, continuity care. So, mm-hmm. so uh, And patients should understand that as well. I think uh, business hours, as you described, even a 16-hour... Uh, you know, being in this hospital for 16 hours is not normal business hours for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about rounds because, again, this is kind of a mysterious concept to a lot of people I interact with. They ask me, like, what happens during rounds? So what, what, what do rounds look like in internal medicine? And, and okay. how, does, how does a resident spend their day? Okay. So um, the, the, the intern will be the first to arrive in the hospital, and they'll know who their patients are for the day. So they'll have... Hopefully you know, the medical student arrives before the, the intern. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, yeah, just for me, uh, the medical student or the, the or the intern will mm-hmm. see their patients in the morning prior to rounds. So they go in and they see how their patient's done overnight. They look at the chart, see if anything's happened overnight. If they are getting patients in the morning that were admitted overnight, they also have to work those patients up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Medicine traditionally has something called morning report. Okay. So I think this is different than uh, most specialties, but we have traditionally across the country met in the morning to either discuss cases that came in overnight or discuss good teaching cases, and we continue to have that. So in our program, we have that at 8 in the morning. So all of those, you, you are responsible to see your patients prior to 8 in the morning come to this teaching session, uh, which has shortened over time, um, and then out back to the floors, pick up your, any labs that weren't back by the time uh, you went to morning report, and then usually get ready to round with the team at 9 a.m. So what do rounds mean? Rounds mean that the team as a whole, including the attending physician now and the resident, and the resident definitely will also lay eyes at the bedside on the patients prior to morning report too, um, will walk around and see all the patients assigned to the team. So as you remember, I said there were two medical students who would always have, one patient would have a medical student, an intern, a resident, and the attending all responsible for their care. So multiple people responsible for one person. But when um, there's two interns, so there's double the number of patients. So as a team, you would walk around and see at the bedside all the patients. Um, When you arrive at a patient's room, you walk in, the team introduces themselves or reminds the patient who they are, and then one person on the team is responsible to tell the rest of the team what's been happening in the last 24 hours. Um, So we call this a presentation. And so it's either the medical student or the intern that's responsible to present the patient to the rest of the team. At that time, the attending or the resident will take additional history, um, look at the patient, examine them with the team 
and then together they all make clinical decisions on the patient for the day. And uh, then you go around and do that for your entire team, which may be anywhere from 10 to 20 patients total. And that usually takes the greater part of the morning. Yeah, understandably so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's noon or 1230 before you're done with rounds. And then you have a long to-do list. A long to-do list, but first we have a education conference. Okay. So from 1230 to 130, um, the residents come back. We lunch together, and we have a didactic conference during that time. Of course... Patient care always comes first. Mm-hmm. So if there's a problem with the patient or something going on, those conferences are not priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, patient care is always a priority. I love this because I didn't realize there were so many teaching opportunities within the program. It sounds mm-hmm. like there's many, many different ways to communicate either interesting cases or you know new studies or new science to kind of the residents or the medical students. That's fantastic. So, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and then you mentioned 75% of the graduates go on to fellowships. Correct. What are some of the more popular fellowships that the residents go on to do? So um, cardiology is, mm-hmm. a, is a popular fellowship. Um, GI is a popular fellowship. And oncology, hematology, mm-hmm. oncology are three ha- uh, most popular fellowships. Okay. And uh, cardiology and hemonc are two specialties that train a lot of people in general. If you just look at the sheer number of people in the United States that have cancer or have heart disease so the fellowship programs for those programs are very large so it would make sense that a lot of your residents would end up going to train in those specialties when you think about rheumatology allergy immunology endocrinology pulmonary critical care there are less uh, numbers needed so um, we do put out residents into all those specialties but but just less than you would think of for those big drawers. Yeah. And it sounds like it's, it roughly mirrors medical school insofar that you're exposed to the different subspecialties mm-hmm. during your internal medicine training, and then you kind of make decisions whether to apply to these or not at the end. Correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So I do think that some people come in, they probably come into your medical school knowing that they want to be an X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. which I always find so interesting unless mm-hmm. they've had some personal exposure mm-hmm. uh, to that. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that, pay, that uh, students will know exactly what they want to do. But I I would say about half of my residents come in with an idea of what they're interested in, and the other half, it it evolves mm-hmm. over their training. So when you would apply to a fellowship would be at the beginning of your third year. So okay. right now in September, October, my third year residents are interviewing for fellowship positions that will start July 1 of the next academic year. Um, so... Interestingly, another trend that's occurred in medicine over the last, you know, five to ten years, certainly after you and I were out, Mm -hmm. is that frequently residents will actually go out into the workforce for a year or two or three (laughs) prior to applying to fellowship. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So one field that's really easy to do that in is hospitalist inpatient medicine. Um, Why is that different than outpatient medicine is because in outpatient medicine, you're actually building a patient panel and you're building relationships with patients. It's very difficult to come and go after a year or two into it from that specialty. And and that's the draw of of being an outpatient generalist is that you want to develop long-term relationships with patients. Um, That's an incredibly rewarding aspect of that care. But in hospitalist medicine, Uh, people definitely do, it's easier to be transient Mm -hmm. in that job. So um, because of med school debt, and, and, you know, that's a topic that is in the front page of every newspaper, um, a lot of times residents will choose to go out into the workforce for a few years 
you know, pay down their debt, do whatever they need to do before they come back and do fellowship. Because fellowship, you more or less make the same amount of money as a resident physician. Correct. So, yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Very Which interesting. is much less than you are when as, you're in a, a faculty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. How does how does a chief year fit into this? I mean, what what you know, you 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 did a chief year, mm-hmm. and as with the changes that I'm hearing, like how does being a chief factor into these decisions? I mean, can someone be a chief and then go on to fellowship? Or absolutely. You know, okay. And I actually think it's a leg up okay. to fellowship and academics. I think I do have chiefs that end up going into private practice ultimately after being a chief and and um and I think there are still incredibly uh re- it's a rewarding year it's it's you learn a lot about humans mm-hmm. you're managing people mm-hmm. and uh, most of us in med school have never done that we've never been in a business where we've had to manage other personalities of bright adults and uh and that's what the chiefs do so even if you were going to go out into private practice um i can see that it'd be valuable but it's incredibly valuable for people that are interested in remaining in an academic setting um and that's because you know it's all about scholarship yeah so you're learning you're 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 running all those teaching conferences that i mentioned Mm -hmm. the chiefs run all those conferences okay they definitely manage all my residents they're responsible for schedules they're responsible uh for rotation development curriculum Mm -hmm. development along you know side me Mm -hmm. as um I, I definitely view them as my colleagues mm-hmm. and my partners. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And what about research opportunities during the residency? With all this going on, with call and, and night flow to what have you, do, do residents have time to do research? Yeah. So we have research time built into our training program. Oh, fantastic. So um, throughout the training period, uh, time year one no built-in research time. I think that's as we said earlier. It's an it's the opportunity for people to really understand medicine, learn the basics, get a very strong foundation of general medicine, and people's interests start to develop. So if you end up being interested in geriatrics, it's because you know in your intern year, those are the patients that you really felt were the most interesting to you. You felt the field was interesting to you. Maybe you had an incredible geriatric mentor, which happens frequently, as you know. You run into people that that you just look at and say, I want to kind of emulate their life, mm-hmm. lifestyle, life, their career, their career, etc. <clears throat> so that would happen in the intern year. In the second year, we have four weeks of built-in research time. In the third year, we have six weeks of built-in research time. And um, so a total of 10 weeks. Now, not every resident in my program utilizes those 10 weeks in research and and you don't have to you don't have to you can choose to do other electives outside of our curriculum so this is not a time to do the allergy immunology rotation because you're going to be assigned that anyway so it's actually a time where you can pursue anything that you want that's of interest to you if you're going into gastroenterology or cardiology or one of the more popular uh, competitive fellowships it is probably a time where you need to do some scholarly work so that uh, you can put those kind of things on your seat and make yourself look more competitive to academic programs. Um, but at other times, if you are if you know what you want to do is work for Indian Health Service, it is actually a great time to go to Indian Health Service and experience that kind of medicine and really make sure that's what you want to do. Oh. I have a lot of residents that want to do international medicine or have an opportunity to do international medicine, and they utilize that time. 
in their second and third year to travel abroad and, and work outside of the U.S. as well. Fantastic. Well, let's switch gears, Dr. Milne. Let's talk about uh, the specific program here. Um, how many applications do you get? How many do you interview? Um, and, you know, what kind of looks like, what, what does the process look like? Okay. So um, all of this is done via a central matching process. So you, as a medical student, uh, will put out one central application and with a click of a button can apply to wherever you want to apply. It does cost money to apply to different schools. So they're not everyone's applying to 270 schools and, and usually people apply to about 20 schools in medicine. Um, I think it's different per specialty, but, um, and we receive uh, between 1,500 and 2,000 applications That's a, lot. a wow. year, right? Mm-hmm. And for those 30 positions, and we will ultimately end up interviewing between 150 and 200 of those people for those positions. Um, so the screening process starts right off the get-go. We certainly have um, objective measures and then subjective measures of who we think from history would be successful in this program. And so we offer interviews to people that we think would be good fits here. And um, and then, obviously, uh, students also have to decide where ultimately they want to go to. So mm-hmm. they might apply to 20 places but only want to actually interview at 10. So, you know, it's a screening process on both ends. Mm-hmm. And we say objective and subjective. You're talking about board scores, like uh, class AOA, rank. Yeah, mm-hmm. class rank, things like that. And then subjective, I imagine, letters of recommendation, activities that mm-hmm. medical students may have done during their medical school training. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that sounds very similar to what we do in missions downstairs. Um, you know, thinking about it, uh, what does an interview day look like in internal medicine in your program? So, so um, everyone shows up. Most people have a blue suit on or a dark, <laughs> okay. or a dark suit of some sort. And um, we are very excited to have them. We have a really awesome interview process here that is incredibly well organized by my, uh, my staff. So um, the night before, the, the applicants will have dinner with my residents. Okay. There, is, there are no faculty there. Okay. It's at a downtown restaurant. And the thought is to find out if these are the type of people that you want to be around the next one to three years. You know, and, and also to ask the questions that people would never ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really informal, fun time. It usually ends pretty early because the residents have a big day or the applicants have a big day the next day. So I think it starts at 6.30 and I'm sure that they're out of there by 9 or 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. The morning here starts early. So we ask our uh, applicants to come at 7.30 in the morning. Um, we have a little bit of a meet and greet with me mm-hmm. and my associate program directors. And uh, then they sit through morning report with us. They have breakfast, um, observe or participate in morning report. Um, and then we spend the next hour and a half talking about the nuts and bolts of the program. Okay. My philosophy, our, our uh, training philosophy, kind of the things we're talking about here, but in more depth, what kind of training should you expect over the next uh, one to three years, depending on which program you're applying to. Then we break out for faculty interviews, and each of our applicants will have two faculty interviews. I do try to match those based on what I can pick out from their application, maybe their interest. So if someone's um, identifying themselves as a would-be cardiologist, you know, I definitely want to set them up with a cardiologist. But most um, applicants actually don't identify themselves as with, with what they want to do. So we have a core um, 
we have a large faculty member here, but we have a core group of people that are interested in interviewing. So it's very similar to you. Mm-hmm. It's a volunteer basis. Yep. So they have to have interest mm-hmm. in doing it. No and compensation. No <laughs> compensation. Another unfunded mm-hmm. um, job. Mm-hmm. But um, and then so it'll be two 30 minute interviews, a tour of our facilities here. Um, and then lunch with our residents again an informal time where there are no faculty members in the room so any questions that the applicants may have had that came up in the morning that they hadn't recognized like hey tell me a little bit more about this endocrinology rotation that occurs at x y or z or whatever might come up they can ask the residents that informally and then um an end of the day wrap up with me and then everyone's out of here by one thirty or 2 so a really efficient day at the University of Utah because mm-hmm. I'm all about efficiency yes. so. how many people do you interview I mean on a day um, we'll take up to 20. I don't okay. like to do 20. It's a large group. That's a large morning report. <laughs> yeah, and it's a large group. I like to meet each applicant um, individually, and that's a large number to, to try to do that in the morning alone. So an ideal group for me would be somewhere between 12 and 15. Mm-hmm. What kind of uh, medical students or future residents do really well in, in your program? So we're a busy program. So um, I, I, I think one of the best things about our program is that we do have a three-hospital system. So we train at three hospitals. We train here at the University Hospital. We train at the VA, which is an incredibly important mm-hmm. uh, resource for training. And then we have a very unique opportunity here in the Salt Lake Valley to, tr- to train at a uh, would-be private non-for-profit hospital, which is IMC. Mm-hmm. So we have a great partnership with them as well. And you'll remember that I said we combined programs in, in 2000. So we continue to have 24 residents at IMC at any time on rotation. Um, so that's about 15 to 20% of our time is spent in IMC. So um, one... It has to be people that are interested in a very broad training experience. I think most people should. Mm -hmm. But some people come out of medical school and only want to train in one hospital. And and so... We're, I mean, we're definitely looking at people that want to be in a busy academic training hospital. Um, We do look for, you know, objective measures. So from experience, we know that students that have done well clinically in medical school will do well in our program. Um, and that seems to be more important than even how well they've done in the first two years um, is how well they've done on their clerkships in their third year because medicine's very clinically-based specialty. You've got to take care of a lot of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like to have a lot of diversity in my program, so I'm definitely attracted to people that have real passions. Mm-hmm. And that can be very varied. Um whether it is research-based or international medicine or helping the underserved or utilizing a language skill, there's there's so many interesting aspects of medicine. And as long as we can foster that here at the University of Utah, and I think we can. We have a really strong department for most things, but we're not great fits for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I definitely look for people with diverse interests um, to make my program as, as diverse as possible. Fantastic. You talk about fit, and you mentioned your own background, um, that you came from Wisconsin and you did a way rotation here at the U. Would you recommend that to you know for visiting students to come here for a rotation? And if so, what rotation would you recommend? 
So I just don't think it's possible for students to interview it or to do away rotations wherever they're going. I mean, uh, it's it's expensive a mm-hmm. uh, to be a, to be away from your home for thirty days, and um, I. So, so I when I tell uh, when I'm mentoring fourth year students, I say that it's great. I think it would be awesome, but it's not necessary. Um, and but I do say it's important on the interview day to try to spend more than the minimum amount of time in a city, especially if you've never been in, in a city or a place before. So, do would a wait. Ray rotations be ideal? Absolutely. I think in a month or two weeks, you get a feel for a program much more so than you do in, you know, seven hours um, on site. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's just not feasible. Okay. Right. And so. if you were going to do a rotation, I would definitely do one when you're in the hospitals interacting with the residents. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't choose to go, you know, to New York City and work in an outpatient practice with just one physician who was an adjunct professor. Mm-hmm. I would, I definitely would tell people to be in the mix, you know, be working with as many different people as you can. Uh, if that's a general medicine rotation, then you get an opportunity to see lots of consultants. If you choose a consulting rotation like infectious disease or something, you have an opportunity to interact with a lot of different medicine teams and surgery teams, and you definitely would get a feel of what it's like. So I think an in-hospital rotation would be best. Okay. Great. And you mentioned mentoring medical students here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Um, how do our own medical students do? Do a lot of them match here? Do you give them preference? I mean, how does that work in the world of internal medicine? Yeah. So... Um, do I give them preference? Probably. Okay. And the and not just because they're a University of Utah student, but because I have personal experience with them. You know them. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you know them, and you know the ones that are going to be able to be awesome residents and great doctors, and um, the rest of the patients or the, the rest of the uh, applicants are just like the applicants. I am to an applicant. It's mm-hmm. you're looking at paper. You're making a seven hour assessment. And uh, then making a decision versus having the opportunity to work with our own medical students, having the breadth of experience over the third year and the fourth year. Um, so, so without knowing, there's probably some internal preference, but but it's not it's not an um, absolute mm-hmm. preference. Um, what what else are we looking for? We're just looking for strong, you know, clinically based. Medical students, and as I say, when I mentor medical students, you know, you should always do the best you can in everything you do because it's never going to hurt you, and you never want to close any doors. Mm-hmm. You, you never know when the board score is going to be important, when the grade in anatomy was important, when your class ranks important. Mm-hmm. So it will never hurt you to do better. <laughs> it will only hurt you if you haven't done as well as you thought you're going to do. Yeah. So keep doors open. Very correct. Well, Dr. Milne, I am very grateful for your time. I was going to finish with one last question. Mm-hmm. What, what does the future hold for your program? Um, what things are on the horizon? What developments do you see? Where do you see the program going? So um, we have an incredibly unique opportunity here in the Valley. We're, uh, we've already, we're part of the three largest healthcare systems in the Valley, the university, the VA, and Intermountain Healthcare. We're the only show in town as far as training programs as well. So I only see growth. Um, how big? You know, I, I have a personal preference. I feel like we're definitely a um, very personable program. I I know every single one of my residents. I know them personally. I think if you get too big, you you lose that because it's just not possible to have that. I like my residents to know 
all of their fellow residents. So what's the right size? I think we're about there. Do we do I see growth in our future? I actually do. Because as healthcare grows, as the need grows, as learning opportunities grow, as there's changes in healthcare and additional educational opportunities arise, um, I do see that we will probably grow slowly, but I don't want to grow quickly or big, really big, because um, I like what we have here. Um, we do have a responsibility to the state of Utah as well. Um, you know, as, as we pointed out at the beginning of the interview, people that come to Utah like to stay in Utah. It's a wonderful place to be. And people that have never been here have no idea what we're talking about. But once they get here, they'll, they, they understand that what a lovely city, what a safe city, what a beautiful setting, great international airport, strong economy. Mm-hmm. There's just no reason to leave. So... You know, we we will end up training most of the people that will serve the people of Utah. So I see that as a big influence, too, as the state um, continues to influence what the needs of the health care needs of the state are, that um, we may need to grow a bit as well. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that growth. And I'm looking forward, you don't know this, but I'm going to come back every year and ask you for updates. Okay. So, well, thanks, Dr. Milne. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.